Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, a podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quilterverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Carol Lyles Shaw. Hi. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Carol? Sure. And thank you both for having me here. And hello out there in the podcast universe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Carol Isle Shaw, and I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. And I now reside just uh, north of Sarasota, Florida, in Bradenton. Uh, and I've been a quilter for over 30 years, and I've done almost every type of quilting, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> to kick things off, could you tell us about your quilting journey? Sure. Um, I decided to start making quilts for family members over 30 years ago. It was out of the blue. I always say a quilting angel came, came and sat on my shoulder, actually probably several of them, and just whispered in my ears saying, make quilts for those nieces and nephews. So I did. I got books. I watched the wonderful Eleanor Burns on TV and some other, you know, TV shows at the time because there was no internet. And uh, self-taught that then I met members of the African-American Quilters of Baltimore. Uh, I'm one of their their first president actually was at a quilt show that I attended and she saw me like across the room, grabbed me up and said, come join our guild. <laughs> and I did. And uh, that's how I started on my own books, library books, magazines, that sort of thing. And did you have any like a uh, sewing background or uh, <laughs> other artistic background? Uh, my sewing background was that in junior high school, I made a skirt in sew home ec or something. Hated every single moment of the process, <laughs> although I did wear the skirt. I can still see it in my mind's eye uh, a million years later. But um, so, no, I had no sewing background at all at the time and uh, no interest in it either. Uh, uh, my interest was mainly in art, mainly painting. And that's still uh, my primary source of inspiration uh, for my own designs and my own sense of color. Is there a genre that you go back to time and time again? In, uh, yeah, abstract expressionism and the mm. color field painters. Okay. More recently, I've been really diving deep into geometric abstraction uh, because that is a style of painting I recently discovered, but I had been making quilts kind of in that style many years ago. So it, when I saw the first ones, it was like, yes, I need to study those. <laughs> Who are these people? What are they doing with all this wonderful color and sharp, hard edged, those sharp edges between the shapes. Mm, love them. So uh, rewinding 30 years, when you started quilting, um, were you starting off with a more traditional style? Absolutely, yes. Uh, even though I was self-taught, I started out with simple um, 
patterns like four patch, nine patch. I don't think I attempted flying geese because I knew that that was going to be beyond me without some help. (laughs) Uh, But then I very quickly discovered that making the same block over and over and over and over was boring as I don't know what. (laughs) So I started changing things up and I would see a pattern and then I'd change it up some kind of way and uh, it really started going off on my own. And then very quickly, I discovered some books about art quilting and I wasn't very, very interested in painting and printing, but it was just, you know, that freedom to be improvisational, to create your own design that was very much appealing to me. So I started out learning the traditional stuff. When I went to join the African-American Quilters of Baltimore, many of their members at the time were master heirloom level quilters. I mean, they were making Baltimore album quilts and quilting them all by hand. Needle turn applique. I mean, they knew the basics. I mean, they knew the basics. (laughs) (laughs) And they welcomed me, though, uh, because I was, of course, fascinated with what they were doing. And they looked at what I was making or attempting to make, (laughs) and they said, you've got interesting ideas, and there's some stuff you need to learn. You've got to learn how to (laughs) quilt. I said, yes, I do. (laughs) So they sat me down, and they taught me, you know, hand quilting and uh, just all the basics, all those fundamental skills. They taught me about fabric uh, and stuff I just didn't know. You know, because I had never, I think at that point I might have taken a class somewhere, but I just didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, So those fundamentals, I think, are critical, whether you learn them on your own. And now we have the wonderful Internet where there's so Mm -hmm. much available. Uh, And are you you still part of that group? Yes, I am still a member, even though I live here in Florida. They've been meeting virtually, of course, for a couple of years. They're about to go back to a mix of virtual and in-person. So Mm -hmm. I'll kind of miss out on some of the things going on, but I plan to to stay a virtual member. So when do you, like, uh, you mentioned that you started doing more and more kind of experimental things. You were um, inspired by art quilts. How did you kind of move into the modern quilt landscape? Good question. I, uh, I had a series of quilts that I started really in the late 90s and then early 2000s, a couple of series, but one of them was called Angularity. And in that series, I was playing with squares, rectangles, half rectangle triangles, HRTs, and half square triangles using a very simple, very limited color palette, grounded in black and white, actually, as my jumping off colors, Uh, So playing with the idea of negative space, uh, although I didn't have, I I called it foreground background because that's what painters call it. Uh, And then adding limited colors in each of the quilts in that series. Uh, So those were modern quilts, although that was long before any of us kind of gathered around a common conversation and language about it. When we moved to Florida uh, about 11 years ago, I did not have a quilting community here. So I joined a couple of 
guilds, which were very traditional leaning, and stumbled across the Modern Quilt Guild on the internet. I don't even know how. Joined as an individual member, but got linked up with another individual member who lived in this area. And she and I met up, had lunch. We visited, uh, I think one, there was a modern guild that had just started in Tampa. We visited a few of their meetings and they were lovely people. And then we decided to start one that would be centered in the Sarasota area. So we started a guild (laughs) and we thought, oh, it'll just be, you know, eight or nine people. We can meet in each other's house. You know, we can go back and forth. And by the third meeting, we had to move to the library because there were more people (laughs) than I could put in my living room. We have small houses in Florida, most of us. Plus quilts. And before we knew it, we had 55 members. Wow. And had to cap it because we like sitting in a circle so we can see each other. It builds community. And the room didn't accommodate many more people than that without double rows or something. So, and that was fine. I mean, we had plenty of people who visited, uh, but after about, let's see, about three years ago now, we had such a long waiting list, people waiting for membership, which was kind of embarrassing because we had this, like, we felt like people are going to think we're trying to be exclusive and it's just, (laughs) we don't want to pay for space. (laughs) We're cheap. <laughs> so, it's a complete opposite. Exactly. We would welcome you all and we could build a big enough circle. But um, fortunately, several members who were kind of on that waiting list and kind of visiting us, not kind of who were visiting us, decided to start a second modern guild in the Sarasota area. So we have a sister guild and we've done joint events together. And cool. There's like nothing but love between us. Nothing <laughs> That's but love. good. And and we don't have a lot of shared members because they meet a different schedule, time of day, time of week. Mm. So we kind of have different groups, a little bit of overlap, but but we're always chatting with each other and talking about doing stuff together. That's awesome. There's no like cult turf wars. (laughs) None at all. (laughs) So between us, I mean, we probably have 90 some members between the two groups. Wow. And... Uh, and then lots of people who visit, we have people who come for three or four months of the year because they're snowbirds. So they don't actually join, join, mm-hmm. but they hang out with us. Uh, so it's it's just really interesting. And there are a lot of non-affiliated people in our region who belong to other guilds who make modern quilts occasionally. So there's this big community of people interested in being in making modern quilts or exploring modern quilt design just in this region. So what what is one of your favorite uh, modern quilt mythbusters that you have talked about in your lectures on modern quilts? <laughs> and here's the quote. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize I thought all modern quilts were gray. What? I have heard that as recently as this year. Where, really? Wait, where I, does the gray come from? It, I don't yeah. get it. Well, it comes from, I think, you know, back in the day, like eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever, when MQG was getting started and people were starting to show modern, what they were calling modern quilts on Pinterest and Instagram at the time, uh, or on Facebook groups, uh, a lot of the fabrics, solid fabrics available, 
was they were in a very limited color range. There were blues, a few. There were grays. There was white. I mean, and that's what people were gravitating to for their background fabrics. And that's how this kind of got started, I think. Uh, And then there were some very wonderful, very famous quilts uh, that tended to have lighter backgrounds or um, the blue, gray, maybe some beiges, you know, but like those very limited color range. I mean, I was in, I'm in a couple of uh, Facebook groups with modern quilters. And as recently as this week, uh, someone posted a comment about, oh, I know I posted a link to the QuiltCon winners in one of the groups. I think it was in this group, but maybe it was the other group. Someone posted and said, it was so interesting to see that most of the backgrounds were not white or gray or, I mean, they st- there's still this impression out there that we have to use that limited range of colors when you can use any color you want for your background. Absolutely. It's all part of the whole decision about your color palette. So that's my favorite myth buster, I think, still. <laughs> So talking about using color in uh, our work, um, in some of your work, uh, you incorporate African print fabrics and you also co-host a webinar about African prints for contemporary quilts, crafts, and more. Could you tell us a little bit more about African prints and how they differ in comparison to the quilting cotton that we're you know, more familiar with? Sure. Uh, the African print fabrics that I use are 100% cotton, first of all, in my utility quilts, quilts, my modern quilts, quilts that are meant to be washed. In my art quilts, I use other types of African fabrics that are not quilting cottons. So there, there are some differences. But in my quilt work, um, my focus on using African prints is how to use them in, in what I call an Afro-modern way. And by that, I mean in my selection of fabrics, I will have a background fabric, if I'm, if I'm doing a pattern especially, but I have a background fabric that's not an African print. It might be an ombre, not an ombre, sorry. Yes, it might be an ombre <laughs> or a grunge. <laughs> I love motor grunge or a solid, you know, or something like that, or even a hand dye. And I will use a sparing amount of African prints in the quilt design. So the percentage might be 10% African prints, 90% everything else, solids, uh, maybe a black and white kind of geometric print, uh, which tends to pair nicely with the uh, colors in the African prints. Most African prints that most of us are familiar with and have been buying for quilts and clothing uh, are uh, designs that are very uh, complex, fairly busy. They might be bright colors or they might be more muted, but the design is intense. I mean, there's a lot going on, you know, uh, images or uh, icons or whatever, but they're complex looking fabrics. And many people use all of those fabrics together kind of with very little what I would call background fabric. So it's it's a more maximalist approach. I like the Afro-modern approach, which is, can I use two prints 
and have maximum impact of those prints when I put them in a design so that they can really sparkle on their own. So jumping gears a little bit, we'd love to talk to you more about your um, your teaching. We know that since the pandemic, you've really embraced virtual teaching and lecturing. Can you tell us more about the pivot and you know some if there are any exciting projects on the horizon? Yeah, the pandemic actually accelerated my pivot. I in 2017, I had started investigating creating on-demand classes, you know, filming and blah, blah, blah. And I started um, investigating independent videographers that I possibly could work with slowly, slowly, because I was still teaching in person and traveling, you know, like everybody was. Uh, And then the technology got better. The equipment got cheaper. And I decided I can do this. Yeah, I love tech. <laughs> so I bought some equipment and uh, got a lot of coaching from a bunch of different people. Took a class, a couple of, more than one class about filming, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, learned a lot from food photographers, frankly. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, because they do overhead shots. Right, of course. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah down. And that's what I needed because I needed you to see my hands on my cutting mat. Uh, so I learned a lot from a lot of different people who were a bit ahead of me in making the shift to uh, on-demand teaching hosted by the quilter, not on, you know, some big commercial platform. So I launched a class and uh, then COVID hit and uh, I got home from a trip. I was teaching in Tennessee, got home, got off the plane, had been hearing something in the news about people getting sick, but hadn't paid attention to it (laughs) in Tennessee. And uh, I felt like literally when I walked out of the airport, they closed it. (laughs) I got home by the skin of my teeth. I did not have to drive from Tennessee to Florida. Oh, my God. I mean, literally, I mean, everything shut down that next week. So, of course, everything got canceled. Pivoting to Zoom lectures was easy for me because I had been a corporate consultant in my other life and had used, you know, that kind of technology. But I was not clear how I was going to do live teaching. And, you know, several of my friends in the quilt world who were, again, a step or two or more ahead of me on that said, you're thinking about this wrong. It's not it's not about trying to have a live class virtually. It's how can you make the virtual class the best experience it can be for the students, which was a total reverse. And uh, Latifa Safir, I give her all due credit. She's the one who posted that challenge to me saying, ah, you got to reframe the question. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I said, of course. (laughs) It was was like, (laughs) blinding flash of the obvious, but I couldn't see it, you know. Uh, And that launched me and, you know, I I love teaching virtually, and I have to say, I won't say every student I've had loves it, but almost every student (laughs) I've had loves it, (laughs) and I've gotten better. My students have made me better uh, by the things they ask, the things they ask for, for especially the live experience, and uh, I, I, I 
I love it. I, in fact, I have decided that I'm not going to start uh, traveling to teach. Uh, I really think I can deliver the best experience that both I and my students will enjoy by continuing down this virtual path. So, uh, and I've, I've experimented with a lot of different live formats uh, over the past couple of years. Next year, most of my live sessions will be small group intensive workshops. Hmm. And by small group, I mean, some of them could be as small as 12. Some might go up to about 16 people in a cohort and we'll work together for six or eight, nine weeks, something like that. And I will provide the prompts, the forms. We'll do live sessions, short live sessions, like hour and a half to two hours. And then they'll go off and they'll be making stuff. And the focus will not, for the most part, will not be on teaching techniques so much as you've got a bunch of techniques. Now, how do you take what you already know and marry that with what you love to do and your own vision? And how do you make your own stuff? Not necessarily all improv, though. I mean, some of them will have will allow people to work in more of a pattern approach. I've got a design and I want to make that. Uh, but I'll be helping people challenge some of their habits, like color choices, uh, some of their assumptions they don't even know they're working from, some limitations they may have put on themselves around their design. Uh, I was running a, a small group the other day and I've, and in the beginning of the session, one of the students said, I have this idea and I think this is where I want to go with this prompt. I have no idea how I'm going to make it. And I said, put that question off the table for now. Don't worry about how you're going to make it. You can figure that out. Figure out what you want to make first and then find the technique that will get you there or as close as possible. I said, because there's lots of help with, oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? But if we, we start with that question, we start in limits rather than in possibility. So, and that's my, that's, that's what I want to do. And with small groups, we can dive deeper. We can coach each other, support each other, and hopefully, you know, give people some, put some real momentum uh, behind some people and their work. When you started the transition into virtual teaching, what was one thing that, you know, really concerned you at the time that your surprise is not an issue at all? Uh, one concern I had was how could, how, how can I put it? When you're live, you can walk over to a student's table and see what they're doing. And I thought, I won't be able to walk over to their table. And most students don't have fancy setups. They, you know, they've got a laptop or a Mac with a camera in it. And uh, maybe they've got a separate microphone, but usually not. Uh, how will I see what they're working on? How will I really be able to help them? And for the most part, that hasn't been at all a big hurdle like I thought it would be. Because very quickly, 
as people started taking virtual classes, they learned how to create a little design wall behind themselves <laughs> and how to move their iPad so that the teacher and the rest of the group could see it. You know, they might be jerking it a little bit, but we all started to figure that out. And I would say, back up, back up two feet, back up. Now we can see it. Hold still. <laughs> And, you know, so that hasn't been uh, as big a concern. And sometimes, you know, in between sessions, uh, people or even after a session, people will email me photos and I can give them some feedback and so forth. That has been uh, so offset by the one tremendous value. Well, there's two. The, The first one is that people are working in their own home studio, their own sewing machine, their main sewing machine. They're physically more comfortable and they've got all the fabric right at hand. And since I'm generally pulling people into sometimes an introduction to making a modern quilt, when I was live, invariably, if there were 20 people in the room, four of them would be almost in tears because they felt they hadn't brought the right fabric. And so we'd have to figure out how to make what they had work. And we, you know, we were all creative, so we figured it out, but they never felt like they had the optimum experience because they had that sort of hanging over their heads. Hmm. And if it was a show we were at, people would literally run out with their credit card and buy the fabric (laughs) and bring it to the class. And I just, oh, I know they have that fabric at home probably. Sometimes they wouldn't, but but if you're already home, And you show me your fabric and I go, you know, are you sure you got enough contrast or have you thought about this? Do you have any other greens available? Why don't you go away for a couple minutes, find some more greens. Let's look at Susie over here and we'll come back to you. That has worked a treat. I mean, that has been fabulous. That sounds awesome. No waiting in line for the iron. (laughs) Right. That's right. There's no waiting in line for the iron. And we we don't blow all the electricity fuses in the room, which I've had happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I just have to hope that, you know, here in Florida, it's, you know, it's a weird environment. (laughs) And every once in a while, we lose electricity for no apparent reason. It just Mm. goes. But I usually make at least one other person a co-host so that the Zoom continues. And then I log back in if that happens. It hasn't happened often, only once or twice. But uh, but yeah, people have their stash there and they usually have something that's more than good enough to work with. And I encourage people when they're taking a class, treat it as an experiment. Don't buy $200 worth of fabric for a pattern and a teacher you've never worked with before. Don't do that. (laughs) Because you might get halfway through that thing and say, I hate this so much, I'd rather be hit in the head with a stick. (laughs) Because I've been there. How do I know this? I've done that. Nope. Shop your stash. Shop a friend's stash. If you don't have, you know, enough, whatever, call up a buddy and see if you can relieve her of some of her stuff or his stuff, you know, take them to lunch or whatever. And uh, and use what you have because you're learning. It's a learning experience. And you may come out with a beautiful project that you love. Or you may not. <laughs> it's part of the experience. Yes. It's all about learning. Yes. So um, 
So yeah, the past three years, you've been striving to be more sustainable in the sewing room. Could you tell us what triggered that change? Uh, it started actually when we moved to Florida because we lived in a bigger house. I had a big basement area with lots of fabric. Oh, so much fabric. Anyway. <laughs> so when we were, you know, deciding to move, I thought I'm not shipping all this fabric and whatever. Um, and we had to put stuff in storage for a while. And I thought, I'm, this is crazy. So I sold and gave away a bunch of stuff. And that was kind of the start when I realized that I was a hoarder. I was a hoarder. I, I do not call it collecting. It was hoarding. So that started. And then when we got here and periodically I would de-stash because my tastes were changing too. So I try to use up stuff, but I, it was hit or miss. And I was still shopping. Uh, and one day I looked around and I thought, wait a minute, I'm trying to recycle, use less plastic, do this, do that. How come I'm not thinking about that in my quilt life? Now, my jam is not go to, you know, Goodwill and buy used tablecloths for stuff. Unless it's for an art quilt and I need something special. And <laughs> I will. But for my general quilt making, that's not my skill. I don't have that particular skill. And I admire people who are much more focused in terms of reusing fabric, which I think is wonderful and very important. But what I see is that the majority of quilters aren't doing that either. Their struggle is I've got these bins of, of fabric and I'm not using any of it. The other thing that happened is that on a couple of occasions, my guild was contacted by two different families of quilters who had passed away, and nobody in that family wanted any of that fabric, and we thought, okay, we'll go look at it, and we got thousands of yards oh, felt no, like, of God. fabric. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming. For us now, we had a way to get rid of it. We have a, a sale once a year, and we were able. To, we made so much money selling fabric at, you know, really bargain basement prices. I mean, almost giving it away. But that stunned me into realizing what will my family do if you know, I hit the lottery tomorrow, and I'm, like, I'm not doing any of this anymore. I'm going to sit on the beach. <laughs> And watch this like that. And I thought, mm, I don't need to keep this much stuff. I haven't been doing it in the rest of my life. I, I'm not a clothes shopper. I don't shop for shoes. and I don't hoard anything else. Why am I doing this? That experience, and it wasn't one experience. It was a couple of experiences where I saw what a quilter who loved fabric, loved quilting, had to leave behind for her family to deal with. And I thought, I don't want to do that. And that was, that was a real wake-up call. So I started talking about it. I started looking at my own habits. I would weave it into my classes, encourage people, if you're coming to my class, don't buy any fabric. Go to your stash. Here's how you can substitute. You know, I started small, and now I'm, it, I'm really very hard on people. <laughs> and, you know, when people say, well, I'm a collector, I say, no, you're not. And you're not a curator because a museum curator rotates the collection. It's in use. They loan it to other museums. People mm -hmm. see it. 
Your fabric is sitting in a bin in the garage. That's hoarding. (laughs) That is not collecting or curating. (laughs) So don't even come at me with that. (laughs) And I hear some deep breaths. I say, I love you. And you're a hoarder. I was one. (laughs) Say it with me. I feel like I need a, whenever I go shopping for fabrics now, I need to replay this podcast as a reminder. <laughs> yeah. You need like an app. You don't need you that. that. You do. don't need that. You don't need that. It starts with organizing and knowing what you have. That's where it really, you start there. Mm. You don't start with, what, do I, what can I get rid of? You start with, let me understand what I have. Let me organize it in ways that I can access it and use it. Then you go to the next step, which is, okay, I haven't used this in two years. How can I move it into some part of the quilt world where someone will use it? I still occasionally buy fabric. I bought some month and a half ago or something because I needed a particular shade of blue to finish a quilt And fortunately, I knew which of my local shops had it, Modern Sewist. And uh, she had it in stock. I went there. I bought that. And I think I bought one or two other things that were solids I needed to slot into my solid stash because I have some holes in in the colors. But I did not do my usual, well, let's just see what she has. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just, uh, you know, know. I'm, I'm much more controlled. Now, QuiltCon is coming up in February. <laughs> mm-hmm. My lecture is on sustainability. I will be watched. Yeah. <laughs> I will be watched. Oh, it's going to be hard, though. It's going to be painful. So it, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Carol? I'm ready. Awesome. Wendy, why don't you kick us off? (laughs) All right. So what is your favorite time of day to quilt? In the mornings. And where do you sew? I have a bedroom that I converted into my studio. That's my main sewing space. And do you wear shoes while sewing? No, I wear socks. (laughs) And uh, music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence while sewing? Uh, Silence when I'm deep into design, uh, mystery novels, audiobooks, or if I need to pump up the energy, I listen to some old time rock and roll. (laughs) 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 And do you have a favorite color? Yellow. (laughs) My students would laugh at this and they'd be all yelling, yellow. (laughs) That's my favorite color. (laughs) And do you have a go-to long arm quilter? I have two. I have a woman by the name of Carly Sandell. Uh, She has quilted a lot of quilts for me over the years, and hopefully she'll continue to do that. Uh, And uh, she's doing mainly uh, pantographs, edge-to-edge work for me now. And uh, for custom quilting, there's a local woman, Lisa Arndt, who has done some lovely custom work for me. So I like getting on her calendar. (laughs) Got to get on her calendar. (laughs) The good Um, ones are always busy. (laughs) And uh, who's your quilting mentors? The women of the African-American quilters of Baltimore, uh, particularly Ms. Vera Hall, uh, who's just, and, and others. I mean, they just took me under their wing with great, great compassion and kindness and humor and taught me what I needed to know. 
And do you have any other interests or hobbies? Um, yeah, watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Crime shows, Britbox, Acorn, Marvel movies, Fast and Furious. I love action Ooh. movies. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Ride or die, baby. Ride or die. <laughs> that often shocks people when they say, oh, I love Fast and Furious. They go, really? That's it. <laughs> You want me to start reciting? Let me tell you. <laughs> want some dialogue, baby? Can you get them out for the Cars don't fly, Dom. Cars don't fly. Don't fly. <laughs> Keep them away from the cars. Oh, my God. Now I'm going to go, like, after this call, Ria, I'm going to go and watch them now. <laughs> oh, start at the beginning. There's a couple you yeah. can skip that aren't very good. Just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap today up, we've got just a couple more questions for you. Actually, we have just, yeah, we have a couple more questions for you. Who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Oh, that is so, um, I really struggle with this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I, rather than accounts, I'd rather give you hashtags. Sure. Follow the hashtag modern quilt or modern quilts or modern quilting follow that hashtag search on it see what people are doing because there's so much variety and people are doing all kinds of new stuff and exploring stuff so follow that hashtag uh follow the hashtag sustainable quilting or sustainable quilt mm. life i mean that's starting to pop up a little bit um yeah those are those are hashtags i would encourage you to follow and follow me, of course. Oh, so, <laughs> if you aren't dead already, guys, <laughs> get on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, before we sign off, do you have any fun projects in the horizon that you're able to share with our listeners? Well, I, I think I may have mentioned the small group intensive. Those will be opening up for registration right after January 1st uh, to my newsletter readers first. And because they will be small groups, really limited, truly limited enrollment, uh, they may fill very quickly, I hope, <laughs> from my newsletter list. Um, but those will be, uh, as I said, limited time, you know, four, six, eight weeks, because there'll be different lengths, uh, focused a deep dive into a particular aspect of modern quilting. And I will also be doing at least one on a type of art quilt that I like to make. So, uh, you know, that will be some technique and some design. Sounds fantastic. So on that note, we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio, Wendy. I am the dot weekend quilter. And Carol. Carol underscore Lyles Shaw. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
tech, <laughs> with the tech <laughs> errors, Wednesdays, <laughs> weekdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>